0: One of the key things we need to do to be successful in our lives is determine what takes hold of us and what we take hold of in our lives. Today, we're learning how to plant the right seeds. This message is the 10th in the series, Take Hold of True Greatness. The message is entitled, Plant the Right Seeds. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Grab your Bibles, your teaching sheets as we turn our attention to God's Word this morning. We're involved in this series of messages called Take Hold. I want to continue that theme this morning, talking about planting the right seeds, sort of a follow-up to the message that we had last weekend. This is the 10th message in the series, and uh, we'll see how many more we go, probably a couple more at least, as we uh, continue with this theme of taking hold of all that God wants you to take hold of in your life. What you take hold of is very important because it represents the priorities of your life, what's important to you, and it will shape your life and shape your destiny. I wanna talk today about a couple of things regarding the idea of seed planting. And the Bible is very big on this concept of seed planting. I'm gonna give you basically two things today that will help us to understand something about the seeds of your life, how you plant them, and how it produces the fruit that God wants to produce in and through you. And so if you'll just dive right in with me this morning as we get started, all the folks in Frederick and universities at Shady Grove as well as we get started in the teaching of God's Word. The first point I want to share with you this morning is that your life is connected to, is determined by, in large part, the seeds you plant. The seeds you plant in life will affect or determine or is certainly connected to the life that you get. All through the Bible, we see that uh, the Scriptures define our lives many times in agricultural terms. The Bible, obviously, was written and given to us through the ages uh, by men moved on with the Holy Spirit, but they lived in an agrarian society. Agriculture was part of the analogy that people understood, and so much of what we see in the Bible are agricultural analogies and metaphors. And God tells us that our lives is very much like a garden, that we are like seed that are planted in gardens and how we plant the seed of our life will determine the harvest of our life. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 10. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Would you circle the word sows and reap? I'm gonna draw a connection between those two in just a moment. For he who sows to his flesh of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Notice the connection between sowing and reaping. What you sow is what you reap. If you sow to the flesh, Of the flesh, you will reap corruption. If you sow sow to the Spirit, of the Spirit, you're going to reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. The Apostle Paul, writing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, draws us into this very important life principle what you sow is what you reap. That in your life, your actions, Your attitudes, your words, and your decisions. Let me give those to you again. Your actions, your attitudes, the pervasive attitude, thought process of your life, the words that you speak, and the decisions that you make, all of these are the seed of your life. Anytime you do something, you're planting a seed. Anytime you think something, the attitude of your life, you're planting a seed. Anytime you actually speak something, you often are... Planting a seed by the words that you speak and the the decisions that you make, the choices that are part of your life are all seeds that have a harvest connected with them, and that harvest will happen in this life, and that harvest will also affect the life to come. That your life, as we talked about last week, is a garden. God planted you in a garden. He's called you to plant seeds in the garden of life. Now it's interesting when you go back and study the origin or the the, the genesis of mankind, and you see how God made Adam and Eve and placed them in the Garden of Eden, and the Bible says that when he placed them in the Garden of Eden, he put them in this agrarian environment. He put them in a place where they could learn something about how seeds work. The very first environment given to mankind was a garden. Think about that. So God said, I'm going to put you in a place that will teach you this whole perspective of sowing and reaping. What you sow is what you reap. What kind of seed you put into the ground will determine the kind of harvest that comes up from that seed. And so I want to share with you some things that you and I need to understand about sowing and reaping. These are principles of sowing and reaping for your life and things that will determine the harvest of your life. If you could say today, you know what, tomorrow and in the days to come, I want my harvest to be a good one, amen? You want your harvest of your life to be good? Well, you have to understand if tomorrow's harvest is going to be good, what do you have to do today? You gotta plant the right seeds today if you don't plant the right seeds today you're not going to have the harvest a lot of people are hoping for an amazing harvest in their life but they're not doing anything about the seeds they're planting and so I'm going to share with you five things that will determine your harvest five choices that you need to make about seed that will determine your harvest first of all your harvest is determined always determined by the kind of seeds that you sow whatever kind of seed you sow will determine the harvest of your life Genesis chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it, according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Please notice the phrase there, according to their kinds kinds. Notice that the Bible says that every seed produces after its own kind. Important. If you want apples, what kind of seed do you have to plant? You can't plant corn seed and expect to get apples. You can't plant tomato seed and expect to get cucumbers. In the DNA of seed is what will be reproduced after it. So everything produces after its kind. Going back to Genesis 6 and 7, chapter, uh, uh, chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, do not be mocked. God is not, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever man sows, that will he also reap. Whatever you sow is what you're going to reap. For he who sows to his flesh, "...of the flesh that is after its own kind shall reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit after its kind reap everlasting life." So you get what you plant. Say it with me. You get what you plant. Number two, your harvest is determined by the amount of seeds you sow. Not just the kind of seed you sow, but the amount of seeds you sow. If you want a large harvest, you have to plant lots of seed. If you plant only a small amount of seed, it'll be a small harvest." 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 6, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. So here's the principle. It's not just a matter of the kind, but it's also the amount. And so if you want more love in your life, you've got to plant lots of seeds of love. If you plant lots of seeds of hatred, what are you going to get a lot of in your life? Hatred. So whatever you're planting, you have to understand this, and I hope the Bible says don't be deceived. Wake up and realize this. This is what's directing your life. This is what's determining your future. Don't let the adversary deceive you. Don't be deceived by yourself. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that's what he's going to reap. If you want love, you have to sow love. And if you don't sow it in a large amount, you're going to receive a small harvest. And so it's not only the kind, but it's also the amount. Number three, the third thing that determines your harvest is how consistently you sow seed, how regularly, how steadily you sow seed. If you want a good harvest, you have to continually plant, steadily, consistently plant the right kind of seed, not just now and then, but all the time planting good seed. Ecclesiastes 11 verses 1 through 6. Listen to this. There's a lot of stuff here. I'm really going to Zero in on verse number six here in just a moment, so get ready to read verse six with me when we get there, but just listen to the build up to verse number six. Send your grain across the seas, and in time profits will flow back to you, but divide your investments among many places, for you do not know what risk might lie ahead. When clouds are heavy, the rains come down. Whether a tree falls north or south, it stays where it falls. Farmers who wait for perfect weather never plant. If they watch every cloud, they never harvest. Just as you cannot understand the path of the wind or the mystery of a tiny baby growing in its mother's womb, so you cannot understand the activity of God who does all things. Now, read verse 6 with me. Plant your seed in the morning and keep busy all afternoon, for you don't know if profit will come from one activity or another, or maybe both. Notice what it says again in verse number 6. When are you to plant your seed? In the morning. And then keep busy planting all afternoon because you don't know which seed is good. You know, I've uh, learned something uh, over the years in, in the little bit of gardening that we did. You always plant more seed than you, than, than you might think is needed. For example, you, if you're going to create a bed of, of, of seed, a seed bed of maybe for, for, for squash or cucumbers, you'll always initially plant more seed than you're going to need because not all the seed is going to germinate. Not all the seed is going to come up. And even indeed, if all comes up, you can go back and weed through it and thin it out. But you plant more seed than you think you're going to need because you never know which seed is going to be the good seed or the bad seed. So you plant more than you even anticipate. You plant in the morning, you plant all afternoon, you plant consistently. It's a part of your lifestyle to plant good seed. Number four the fourth thing that will determine your harvest is the condition of the soil receiving the seed. The soil matters. Obviously, it's not just the seed that matters. It's also the soil that matters. What you plant in matters. We talked about it last week. I'm not going to take time to read for you again Matthew chapter 13. But remember the story of the farmer going out and sowing the seed, and some fell on the hard path, and the birds came and ate it up, and some fell on the shallow soil, and it went down, but it didn't have roots because there was rock underneath, and then some was uh, planted in good soil, but they allowed the weeds to come in and choke it out, then there was the really good soil where there was a production of fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. What I want you to see this morning is it matters what you plant your seed in. You need to plant your life in good things, amen? You need to give yourself to the right priorities. You need to Plant in things that really have eternal worth and eternal value. Don't spend your seed on things that really don't matter. What you plant in is important. Number five, the fifth thing that we understand as well regarding our harvest, what determines it is the care and cultivate, cultivation of the seeds that you sow. Once you plant seed, you have to make sure they're watered. You have to make sure that there's a watering process, that you planted them in a place where the sunshine can hit them. In other words, what there is, the idea is it's not just throwing seed, it's also planting the seed and carrying, watching over the harvesting of that seed, the production of that seed. Genesis chapter 2 verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. There was a working process. The Greeks said it this way. The Greeks had a statement that made this, that that really emphasized the same idea of sowing and reaping. They said, For he that's furnished the seed is responsible for what grows. He that has furnished the seed is responsible for what grows. Who is responsible for what grows in your life? You and I are. God's not responsible. He's provided everything that you need for the right seed, for the right production of fruit in your life. But you have to make the choice of the kind of seed that you're going to sow. The life you get is connected to the seed you sow. Never separate those two things. You want a better life, you have to plant plant better seed. That's how it works. Here's our second thing today. Proper planting of that seed is necessary for the development and release of your potential. I want to zero in on the idea of potential for a moment. A seed, what is a seed? A seed really is a, is, a, is a little package of potential, isn't it? Every seed is just a little package of potential. Inside that seed, there is the DNA of a, not only a plant, but of many more seed. You take one seed and plant it properly, and it comes up, it germinates, and it comes up and grows to fruition. It will grow a stalk, and on that stalk will be other seed that will eventually multiply. And so in a seed is potential. Every seed is really a little package of potential. And what I want you to see, that in your life right now, God has made you a seed. He's given seed to your life, and the seed of your life is the potential of your life. But think about it this way. If I had a seed, and I carried the seed around in my pocket all the time, would I have a seed? It's not a trick question, okay? Would I have a seed? Of course. I could carry a hundred seeds around in my pocket, and would I have seed? Yes. But would that seed ever produce anything? No, I could say, anybody asks me, "Yes, seed? Oh, yeah, I got a lot of seed. But I'm carrying it around in me, and so I haven't taken, I haven't sowed it. Okay? I haven't taken it out and put it into the ground. I haven't taken the steps necessary to see the production, the fruition of that seed. And so having seed is different from harvesting seed. You can have it and not harvest it because you don't know how to plant it. Now Jesus said it this way: very, very important. I think we ought to read this together. John chapter 12, verse 24. All the folks in Frederick and USG, if you'll read together with me. John 12, verse 24, as well as the folks here in Gaithersburg. Here we go. Very truly I tell you, Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies it remains only a single seed but if it dies it produces many seed. Now listen as I read this again look at it there on your notes or in your bibles. Very truly Jesus said this is a truth. This is something you need to understand. I'm going to tell you about a kernel of wheat or a seed of wheat. Unless that kernel, that seed of wheat, falls into the ground, that is, you take it from your pocket, your bag, your seed bag, and get it into the ground, but it's not just enough to get it into the ground. That seed then has to go through a process unless that seed dies. Unless that seed dies, it's going to remain a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Now, what what is this dying thing all about in terms of seed? Well, Jesus said you've got to take that seed out of your bag, out of your seed bag, out of your pocket. You've got to put it in the ground. And when it gets into the ground, it goes through a process. What is the process? It's actually a a dying process. Before there is life released in a seed, there is death. What is the death? There is the breaking away Of all the outer hull, the outer shell, there's a deterioration of that hard portion of the seed that most of us are very familiar with because we've touched it, we felt it, the hard uh, element around it. But what happens in the ground is through moisture and heat, that begins to deteriorate, that dies away, and that little embryo on the inside of the seed begins to have opportunity to germinate and form little root systems, but there's a death before there is life. There's a death before there is life, and so seed is reproduced by going through a process. Very important term. There's a process for the release of potential. Now, God has made you seed. God has given you seed, and in the seed of your life is the potential of your life, and God wants to produce fruit in and through you. Amen? Do you believe that? Oh, come on. You can help me out this morning. Do you believe that? Okay. Okay. That God wants you to be fruitful, amen? He doesn't want you just to be a little single seed your whole life that never produces anything, correct? He doesn't, when you get to heaven, Jesus is not going to say, give me your seed back. No, he's going to ask not about your seed, he's going to ask about your fruit, okay? When you get to heaven, he's not going to collect seeds. He's inspecting fruit. You see the difference? So you get back to heaven, he's going to say, I gave you some seed, did you take it through some processes, did you sow it, did you use it in some way so that now you can present back to me not just the seed I gave you, but the fruit that came from the seed. So it's all about fruit, but you can't get the fruit without going through the process. Okay? Notice what the Bible says about this in Galatians chapter six because God has placed, or Galatians chapter five, God has placed potential fruit in you but it's in seed form. Galatians five, 22 and 23 talks about the kind of fruit that God wants to produce in your life. Let's read this together. But the fruit of the spirit, you see it there in your notes? It's all, here we go. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now here's what I want you to see. In you is the potential fruit of the Spirit, but it's in seed form. You have the seed in you to produce the fruit of the Spirit. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and you know Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. You've invited Him in. You've turned from your ways and accepted Christ into your life. The Bible says that when you do that, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. And so when the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you, He comes with His seed bag. Okay? Okay? All the seeds necessary to produce fruit is given to you by the Holy Spirit. There's the seed of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Nine fruit of the Holy Spirit, and the seeds are in you right now, okay? Anybody ever said, I want more love? Oh, nobody here today, okay? You guys are so amazingly loving already. That's incredible, okay? Come talk to me at the end. Tell me how you've done it, okay? Anybody ever said, I want more joy? I need more peace. I need more patience. Oh, I know you've never said that, right? I'd like to be kinder, more more gentle, faithful, good, self-controlled. Anybody ever said, I want those nine things in my life? Come on, help me out here, right? Well, you have the seed of those things in you already. Because the Holy Spirit lives in you. But here is the problem. We don't want to go through the process to get the fruit. Because I will tell you, if you're going to produce the fruit of love, you've got to die to hate. Oh, come on now. Unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies it remains alone but if it will die it will then produce much fruit it'll produce greater fruit seed If you're going to have joy, you have to learn how to die to the things that are robbing you of joy. If you want more peace, you have to learn to die to the things that are robbing you of that peace. If you want more patience, you have to learn to die to the things that are robbing you of your patience. But when you're willing to die, we're talking about the death to you so the life of Christ can flow through you. The Bible says in Galatians 6, He that sows to the Spirit of the Spirit will reap life. He who sows to the flesh of the flesh will reap corruption. And so you and I have to make choices day in and day out. Who are we going to feed? Which, which part of us are we going to sow? Which part of us are we going to give attention to, the flesh or the Spirit? And you might say, well, what do you mean flesh? What does the Bible mean when it talks about flesh? It's just your sinful nature that still hangs around even after you come to know Christ. See, just because you became a Christian, all of your sinful inclinations didn't go out the door. They still hung around with you. They're still around, and so there's this flesh that's always pulling you to do what the sin nature wants you to do, and if you go that way, you're going to reap something from that. The Bible says you reap corruption. Now, what corruption means is corrosion. Your life begins to erode. Ever seen a corroded battery before? It's just that corrosion that eats away and eats into your life. The Bible says if you live according to the flesh, there's going to be a corrosion, a corruption of your life, but if you make the choice to live by the Spirit, of the Spirit, you'll find out what real life is, but that means you're going to have to do some dying to the flesh. You can't live in the flesh and the Spirit at the same time. It's one or the other, and you and I make the choice in terms of what seed we're going to plant in life. Now, what I want to talk to you about is how do you make the choice to go through the process? How do you and I plant the seeds of the Spirit so we get the fruit of the Spirit? Amen? I don't just think the fruit of the Spirit is just going to automatically pop up in your life. Oh, Jesus, just make me more loving. I'm loving. No. No, it's farming. Okay? It's gardening, it's growing, it's dying. It's learning stuff about you and laying stuff aside about yourself that you didn't realize was in you and repenting of those things and turning toward God. It's a dying process so the fruit of the Spirit doesn't just pop up in your life. Sometimes you want to want, you know, the Bible says I'm supposed to be loving. I don't seem to be as loving as I want to be. Why? Well, you've got to learn the process. See, this is about farming. You want more fruit of uh, of the Spirit, you've got to farm your way there. You with me? So I'm going to share with you seven things that you need to do to sow to the Spirit. And if, you will, if you'll do these seven things consistently, what will happen is you'll begin to see more of the fruit of the Spirit showing forth in your life. Are you ready for this? All right. I think about three or four of you are, so we'll, I'll talk to those three or four of you, okay? The rest of you can just listen in, all right? You ready? Number one, the first thing, if you're gonna, you and I are going to experience the fruit of the Spirit, we have to learn something about being surrendered to God. Totally, completely surrendered to God. That's where it all starts. You will never have the full expression of God's fruit in your life until you come to the place of surrender. You know what surrender is? Surrender is giving up, giving up your will. If someone caught you on a dark street corner, put a gun in your back, and said, Hands up, what would you do? If you're smart, you put your hands up. Okay, let me just go ahead and give you that, okay? It's not time to smart back with your mouth, say stuff, just like, okay. Because there's something there that you're submitting yourself to. Something that has the power to affect your life in some way. Now, and when it comes to God, surrender is when we get to that place in our life, we say, you know what God, we really do believe that you know what's better for us than we know. And so we're going we're gonna to send up the white flag. We're going to throw up our arms and say, God, I don't want it your, my way anymore. I want life your way. I'm willing to surrender my life to you. And it's not easy to do that. It's hard to do that at times because it means that you are willing to lay down you and go God's way. And that is not easy. There's a battle oftentimes that goes, goes along with that. Jesus taught us that when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus had to surrender to death on the cross, and that's why in the Garden of Gethsemane, he goes in with Peter, James, and John, he goes a little distance from them, and he kneels down, and he begins to struggle in prayer. Do you remember what he prayed? Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless not my will, but may your will be done. And he prays again, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass for me. He's so agonizing over this that the Bible says that he's sweating blood. Think about how intense that must have been, the battle, sweating blood. I mean, I've sweat profusely at times, but I've never sweat blood. Okay? And You probably haven't either. But that's the intensity of what he was going through in this battle. But nevertheless, not my will, but, but yours be done. He goes back a third time, Father, if it be your will... Let this cup, let this crucifixion thing go away. I don't want to have to do this, but nevertheless not. My will, but yours be done. And after that third prayer, he rises up and said, you know, it's time, they're coming. Why? Because he had surrendered his will. And dear ones, today, let me tell you, if you're going to have the fruit of the Spirit in your life, you have to come to a place of surrender. You can't live for you and God at the same time. The Bible says you can't serve two masters. You need to love the one, hate the other, despise the one, and hold to the other you, it's, there's no way that you can love two masters you have to make the choice of who's gonna be boss in your life so can i ask you today if you settled that issue who's boss in your life who gets to call the shots in your life are you still calling the shots or have you gotten to the place you said god i'm willing for you to call the shots in my life because you'll never produce god's fruit if god's not in, in charge amen so it starts with surrender number two the second thing that's necessary you have to learn to walk in wisdom you have to learn something about being wise now Wisdom is a growth process. Uh, I hope that you're getting wiser the longer you live. If you're still making the same mistakes you made 10 years ago, we need to have a talk, okay? Because you're not learning anything, okay? Life ought to bring you, and your walk with God should make you wiser along the way. That you say, you know, I learned some stuff from the mistakes I've made along the way, and so I'm getting wiser. I've learned some things by the study of God's Word, so I'm now learning what life ought to be like. And so if you're going to produce fruit in your life, you have to have truth in your life, okay? You see that? There's no fruit of the Spirit if there's not the truth of God's Word. The Bible, in fact, speaks of our worship being in spirit and in truth and so truth is what enables you to walk in the spirit so you'll never walk in the spirit unless you're open to god's truth working in your life wisdom understanding the difference between what is foolish what is unwise what is prudent what is godly and wise and truth in our thinking number three the third thing you're going to have to do is engage in some discipline you have to be a disciplined person and you say well i don't know how to be disciplined let me tell you what discipline is i'll make discipline really really simple okay Discipline is saying yes to the right things and no to the wrong things. That's all it is. It's having a vision for your life that makes you say yes to what's right and no to what is wrong. Yes to what's going to help you get to where you want to be and no to what you don't, don't want to be. If you have a vision of losing weight, that vision of losing weight, I mean, you got a picture on your mirror, and you can see yourself in the next size down, okay? And you can, pick, you can image in your mind the size that you want to be with the weight that you want to lose. That vision will help you when you go to the refrigerator and there's ice cream in the refrigerator screaming at you. Because that vision will help you to say, no, no, no. I want that vision more than I want this ice cream. Right? And so when you have a vision, I want to be a person who has love, love. And joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and goodness and self-control. I want to be that person. When the things come my way to try to draw me from that fruit, my discipline says, I'm going to say no to these things and yes to the things that will move me in that direction. That's all discipline is. The way you cure your, your discipline problem is you get a vision for what you want to be. What causes an Olympic athlete... Uh, potential Olympic athlete to get up in the morning at 3, 4 a.m. and run ungodly amounts of miles for hours and train and, and all that kind of stuff. When they, you think they just wake up every morning feeling like doing that? No. It's the vision of standing on that, that stand with a medal being put around their neck. It's the vision of the gold medal that drives their discipline. And when you and I get a vision of our life of the potential fruit that God wants to bring from us, that vision helps us to say yes to the right things and no to the wrong things. Okay? Makes sense to everybody? All right, good. The next thing, number four. You have to learn to live a directed life, a God-directed life. This ties into surrender, but I want to I draw the analogy a bit further here. If you're going to produce the fruit of the Spirit, you've got to, you've got to direct your life in, 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 the, in, a, in a godly way, in a way that represents what is, what is right and true and good. The Bible says that in life, in the world, Matthew chapter 7, you can go and read this. Jesus said, in life, there are two pathways. There is a wide path and there is a narrow path, okay, right? Right? Anybody read that before? Okay, It's the wide path and there is the narrow path. And he says, on the wide path, there are lots of folks. All kind of people on the wide path. And on the narrow path, there are few people. Not as many people, obviously, on the narrow path. And both of these paths are taking you Somewhere taking people somewhere. The wide path, the Bible says, leads to destruction, okay? The narrow path leads to life. Now, in in our day-to-day living, we make constant choices about which direction we're going to take, right? We're going to step on the wide path where everybody is and everybody seems to be having a good time and it's all fun and party and life is like hey hey, let's just let's just enjoy it and not worry about eternity and not worry about uh, all those kinds of things let's just have a good time let's do what what we want to do with our lives and so there's all these people having a good time on the on the wide path partying enjoying doing what they want to do no sense of responsibility in their life morally at times all those kinds of things so lots of folks on the wide path but they don't they don't even realize that the path is taking them somewhere okay they're just moseying along not paying attention and realizing that that path is leading to the edge of a cliff and they're going to walk right off the edge of the cliff without realizing it now would you agree that's stupid amen that's not wise that is not the way to live your life other folks say you know what i, I see that path and you know i don't want to go that way I'm going to direct my life in a way that is contrary to what the crowd's doing. And it's going to require more, again, discipline. It's going to require more effort. It's not going to be as popular. It's not going to be popular at all, for that matter. But I'm going to come over here. I'm going to walk, and there won't be as many people on this path, but I know where it's leading. I understand the direction it's taking me, okay? And, folks, let me tell you, there's a whole lot of difference between walking into life and walking into destruction, but the path will take you. But you say, I, I choose, I'm going to consciously choose the direction of my life that will lead me toward life, that will lead me toward the right fruit. The next thing, what's this, number five? All right, I've got two minutes to cover three things. So I'm going I'm I'm to steal about two extra minutes today. Is that okay? All right. Number five, you've got to choose to live a holy life. Let me talk about holiness just for a moment. The Bible says without holiness you will not see God. The Bible says, that tells us that we're to be holy because God is holy. So I think it's pretty important that we understand what it means to be holy, right? If God says be holy because I'm holy, we, we better understand that, right? A lot of people have false concepts of holiness. They don't understand what it is. Some people have been raised in churches where holiness was all about the clothes you wore or the, the, the kind of jewelry you could wear or not wear and all these external things that represent Holiness. is not quite as, uh, per, uh, as doesn't permeate the church world today as much as it used to. But there's a lot of ideas about what holiness is. Many times, it's external kind of things. Okay, but when it comes to real holiness, holiness is the the, the meaning of the word holy in the Bible. It just means this. It means set apart from the common for for, for the common from the common for the uncommon. Okay, from the common for the uncommon. Say that with me from the common for the uncommon, okay? That's all it means. When they would take, uh, like in the Old Testament, they would take a, 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 a pitcher or a basin or something and they would make it holy to the Lord. What they would do is they would pull it out of the common use and put it into the uncommon use of being used in the tabernacle or the temple, okay? So it never got used for the common anymore. It was always used for the uncommon, Okay. When God saved you, when Jesus Christ came into your life, he redeemed you, and he said, I don't want you to be common anymore, amen? I called you to something greater. I want you to now live for me. I want you to come into my tabernacle. I want you to come into my temple, and I want you to live your life for an uncommon purpose. Now, you're going to be different from the world around. That's one of the things Christians got to get over, okay? I'm going to tell you, if you're going to be a Christian, you're going to be different. You better get used to that, okay? I'm going to say that again, okay? If you're a Christian, you're going to be different. You're supposed to be different, okay? If you're going to be a Christian, if people aren't from time to time even mocking you because you're different, you're probably not living very much of a Christian life, okay? Because reality is, if you're a Christian, you're supposed to be different. I didn't say weird, I said different, Okay? That just by the way you live, you're now, I'm not common anymore, okay? I can't live like I used to live. I used to live like, like everybody else did, but Jesus saved me. Jesus redeemed me. I, I belong to him. I'm in his kingdom. He brought me out of the world of darkness, out of the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of light. I got moved out of the, the common stuff. Now I'm in the tabernacle, amen? I'm in the temple. I have, a, I have an uncommon use for my life. That begins to separate you in a way that's good from the way of the world. And so you have to choose to say, you know what? I'm going to live a life that is different, that is set apart for God. I can't live like the world lives any longer. And the last word I will give you here, if you and I are going to produce the fruit of the Spirit, this is, this is the process, okay? All this stuff requires dying to yourself, doesn't it? You see how all these words require dying to yourself? And the last word is humility. You have to learn to live with humility. one of the key things in life if I could teach teach you one thing today all these things are important it would be hard to say just one thing but certainly the capstone of what I want to say today is humility is vital because humility is a recognition of who God is and how much you need him how dependent upon his grace you are and the Bible says that humility is the pathway to power Do you want the power of God to work in your life? Do you? The scripture says God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. There's a story in the Bible, with this I'm going to conclude today, a story in the Bible uh, of two men, Jesus told this story, of two men that went to the temple to pray. There was a a Pharisee and a publican. The publican was a tax collector, not a Republican, but a publican, Okay, 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 okay. He's a tax collector, okay? And they go to the temple to pray, okay? And the Pharisee is recorded as saying something like this. Oh, God, I thank you that I'm not like this this tax collector over here. I thank you that I do all the right things, that I am kind of perfect, that, man, I wear my spiritual hair just right. There's not a hair out of place spiritually. And, God, today I'm just going to... Polish my halo in your presence just a bit and show you how great I am. Now, this, by the way, is a big paraphrase, okay? He didn't really say all of that, but that's kind of the spirit of what he said. And while he's praying that proud prayer, the little tax collector, anybody remember what he prayed? Oh, God, have mercy on me because I'm a sinner. Do you see the difference? The self-exalting, proud one, and the humble person that's simply reaching out to God, crying out for grace and mercy. And Jesus said, which one? He asked the question, which one do you think went away justified? Which one went away with God's blessing on their life? Which one went away with favor? Which one went away with with power? Which one left the temple that day with the grace to live life at a different level? Was it the guy that thought he already had everything that he needed? Or was it the guy that, 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 that cried out to God for mercy and grace upon his life? Which of the two got the power to bear the fruit of the Spirit? Was it the Pharisee who had it all together? Or was it the guy that felt like he didn't have it all together but really needed it? Needed God. In that moment, Jesus said it was, the, it was the tax collector that went out and found exactly what he needed because those that are humbled, those that are exalted will be humbled, and those that humble themselves will be exalted. So you and I have to make the decision in our life, who do we want to impress, people or God? Okay. And when you get to the place in your life where you're concerned more about impressing God with the spirit of your life than impressing people, And you begin to get to a place where you now are prepared to produce the fruit of the Spirit in your life. See, seed is of no value if you carry it around in your pocket. At some point, you've got to bring it out. You've got to put it in the ground. You've got to die to yourself so the fruit of the Spirit can come forth from your life. Let's bow our heads together in prayer this morning. Father, we love you. We worship you. We magnify you. Thank you that you put seed in our life today. There's a seed of... The fruit of the Spirit in all of us this morning, and I pray in the name of Jesus, you'll help each one of us to recognize and understand that that seed is in us. We pray that the fruit of the Spirit would be born, may love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and goodness and self-control be the fruit that's produced from our lives for your glory and for your honor. We ask it in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's Word that'll make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with Himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God, and we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention His name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior, the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today. In Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward in Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life, and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ.